Good morning, Metropolitan Baptist Church and anyone else who's watching. Uh, I just uh, want to tell everyone that God has uh, placed a, something on my heart this morning and called me to preach this sermon. And um, I just hope that people are available to listen. And if, if, if you're not, you know, if you, you, don't, you don't have that much time, you just saw that it's up. It's kind of like a last minute thing. So if you just saw that it was up, you're rushing out. You know, you have somewhere to be. Remember that um, it will be online, Metropolitan Baptist Church later on, or the Facebook uh, website. Uh, in the midst of this tough time, in the midst of this coronavirus, I, I, I feel like I've been called to preach on the supremacy of Christ, right? During this time, I think it's very important for us to recognize that uh, Christ is Lord over all. Christ is sovereign over all. Christ is reigning as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, even during this time. So the text that I'll be preaching on today is from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And it'll be from chapter 1, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. So today's text from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let me pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we just praise your name. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to come as a, as a church, um, even if we're not together just online. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for our friends and family who are not even part of the body of Christ at this time, who may be joining us at this time. Lord, Holy Spirit, we need you. Your, your people need you for us to grow, for us to be encouraged to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those who are, haven't bowed a knee to King Jesus yet, they need you, God. We need your spirit to open up hearts, open up minds today, God. So we thank you that uh, we know that you are always sovereignly in control, working for the glory, for your glory and the good of your church. We pray today that your, your, uh, your kingdom will be advanced, that it will further Today, God, that more people come to know you and that your people will grow. And God, just uh, help me decrease at this time. Lord, get me out of the way. Pray that your spirit will move and uh, that your name and, and your son, Father, will be exalted during this time. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church. Okay, friends. Again, it's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The book of Hebrews is a New Testament book, which many scholars say is it's more of a sermon or homily letter rather than a general letter like the epistles of Paul. As far as the writer of the sermon letter, no one really knows for sure who wrote the book of this letter of uh, Hebrews to the Hebrews. There are many opinions from different scholars over history, but I would agree with church father Origen who, who once said, only God knows who wrote Hebrews, right? Only God knows who wrote Hebrews. It was written to the audience of uh, the letter. The audience of this letter were actually persecuted Jewish believers in Christ. We know that, although we might not know exactly who the, the author was, that all scriptures breathed out by God. So the, the Holy Spirit's inspired these words. So we know in the end it's from God. These words are from God. This is not an, uh, some writer who conjured up some, uh, you know, some opinions. 
Whenever you hear the Word of God, I just want to remind everyone that whenever you, the Bible is, is spoken, whenever the Bible is read, then, then, then this is God's Word that you are taking in. So the audience is a persecuted Jewish believers in Christ. Right? Um, these are people who are persecuted. It means they were suffering. Right? They're under persecution. They're under suffering. So even during this time with the coronavirus, we can relate to that. The overall purpose of the book of Hebrews is to encourage the audience to persevere in the faith, right? And not go back to Judaism. To persevere in the faith. The author's concern was that his readers would not succumb to persecution and pressure to revert back to their Old Testament religion. Hebrews 2.3 says, If they do, they would forsake Christ in his great salvation. So this is a serious, a serious warning here, right? Serious exhortation. If they do, they will forsake Christ in his great salvation. So this book is meant to show them that Christ is superior to the whole old covenant. That Christ is superior to the whole covenant. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with me? Right? I, I'm not a Jewish Christian who is tempted to return to my Jewish faith. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Sure, you might be in danger. Uh, you might not be in danger, most of you guys, of embracing Judaism, right? Or going back to, to Judaism. But many of us have other temptations, right? We have many temptations. <clears throat> We're tempted, maybe some of you guys are tempted to go back to your Catholic roots. Maybe some of you guys are Catholic as you're listening to this sermon right now, right? Tempted to go back to the Catholic roots or even hold on to that Catholicism, right? That says that what Christ did on the cross was not sufficient. That you need to add works with your faith to merit, merit forgiveness before God. We're in the Romans at NBC, we're going through the book of Romans and from Romans 3.21 all the way to through 6, basically, Paul's talking about, he's fighting against that idea that we have to add anything to be right with God. Right? Paul talks, he spends two chapters just hammering the point that we are made right with God. We are justified, declared righteous with God by faith alone. So maybe that's your temptation. Right? You just love, you know, you've been in this tradition so long and or maybe you were in the tradition, now you're hanging out with Christians, you're going to a church, a Bible-based church, and through this time you just miss a lot of uh, the Catholic stuff and uh, maybe a lot of the sacramental, the things that you have experienced as a child, or even that, that fellowship with your family. So that might be your temptation, to not look and see what God has to say, to not trust in Scripture alone, but Scripture plus tradition. Right? You might have a temptation to uh, trust uh, in Mary. Right? And, and the Bible says that Jesus is the only mediator. You might be uh, tempted to trust that Mary is a mediator. Or even go to a priest, a human priest, to absolve your sins. Right? And another temptation might be some of you guys grew up in a word of faith, like a prosperity type church, where they were... They talked a lot about these, these promises that we see in God. And, and, and they, 
they talked about them being more of a physical promises, right? So right now in the coronavirus, you might be tempted to, to take a lot of these promises and claim them to be yours, that you will not get the coronavirus. God will protect you as your shield. You know, instead of seeing through the lens of Scripture, through a new covenant lens, that uh, these, these promises are real. These promises are real. They have more of an eternal spiritual promises, greater promises. You know, sure, God will, you know, in His sovereign providence, if He, if he chooses to heal physically, we've seen that happen. When we get back at church, God willing, uh, we'll see, we'll hear about those, uh, those healings that God gave. But you might be tempted to put the emphasis on uh, health, wealth, and prosperity instead of uh, proclaiming, like what Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. In those scriptures that tell us that, uh, you know, to count it all joy when we go through suffering and things like that. So there's, there's a temptation there. You might come from an atheist background and not believing in God. Your temptation during this time is to, is to say, how can God be real? Why would he allow all this? You know, maybe you came to Christ to, to get a better life and uh, to, to, to maybe, maybe he's not answering those questions that you, that you thought that he answered when you came to him in the midst of all this. You know, maybe you um, didn't have that strong foundation or you're tempted to, to maybe think that you didn't and to go back to that trusting in yourself or trusting in the government or trusting in reason even instead of trusting in uh, the Bible. You know, these are temptations that we all have. Some of you guys might be tempted to go back to Judaism, right? But many of us probably don't have that temptation, but we all we all have that temptation to kind of not believe or reject the fact that Christ is sufficient, right? And that's what this, this passage is mainly, mainly about, that Christ is sufficient, that Christ is supreme. So, we, um, the Hebrews, Hebrews reminds us that we must, by faith, look to Jesus. We must look to Jesus, our superior Savior, and persevere so that we do not fall away. And forfeit God's great salvation. The text we'll walk through today is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. These four verses are the prologue to the whole book. The lens, if you will, in which we should see the whole book of Hebrews. Right? The, the lens that we should look at this, this whole book through. Uh, you want to know what this sermon homily is about? You look at these, these verses here, 1 through 4. And we will learn today what these verses were meant to tell the audience and us today. So the theme of today's sermon, the theme of today's sermon is the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior to all things, including angels. Now that the context is set, let's dive into this glorious and powerful passage that the Lord has given us. Again, it's chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, in the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And that's uh, one through four. This is the word of the living God, church. 
the word of the living God. So my first point of the sermon is Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final prophet. The sufficient and final prophet. Notice one, verse 1 again. Long ago, many times, God spoke, in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, right? Long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to us. Long ago, by the prophets, right? The writers refer to the prophetic revelations of the Old Testament. We see that in the Bible, right? The prophetic revelations in the Old Testament. The verse summarized the whole Old Testament. Notice the verse says, God has spoken in many times, in many ways. These, this means that God spoke in the Old Testament audibly, through dreams, through visions, through angels, etc. This is how God gave us the Old Testament, church. And, and, and friends, don't, don't be misinformed. The Old Testament is the Word of God. It is infallible. It's inerrant. And just like the New Testament, it's breathed out by God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But it was incomplete. It was incomplete. It was a shadow. It was a, a prefigure of what was to come. Dr. James White, when referring to the Old Testament, um, in this passage here, he says, he states, it was incomplete and sporadic, lacking fullness and finality. So the Old Testament is the Word of God, breathed out by God, right? But lacking the fullness and finality. And the next verse tells us who these 39 books of God's revelation, that's how many books are in the Old Testament, 39 books in that Old Testament canon, right? That we call, um, you know, the canon that we call the Old Testament. It, it tells us here in this next verse who it was all about. What was it all pointing to? Verse 2. But in these last days, He has spoken to us, God has spoken to us, right? By His Son. And this is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who the Old Testament is pointing to. The Son of God. Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The Alpha. The Omega. How powerful is this church? It, it, it's as if the whole testament was saying, here he comes, here he comes, and the New Testament proclaimed, here I am, right? Amen? Now through Christ, God's revelation is clear. It's clear and complete. This revelation is greatly superior to all that was given through the prophets. Moses, the greatest prophet, was only a servant in God's house, the scripture says. Christ over God's house is the Son. The Son over God's house. The Son speaks as the prophets did, but speaks as the Son whose revelation is final. Dr. David W. Chapman states it this way, Since God has finally spoken fully in the Son, and since the New Testament fully reports and interprets this supreme revelation, once the New Testament is written and the canon is complete, no new books are needed to explain what God has done through His Son. This is huge, church. Friends, this is remarkable, awesome.
Sorry about that, guys. I got a call coming in. I, I, that's the first time that happened. So, this verse wants us to study Old Testament. We need to look at it through the gospel lens, right? We need to understand that the whole Testament was a shadow of what was to come. And the reality has arrived. And that is Jesus Christ. There's a Bible verse that emphasizes this concept as well. Does anyone remember the road to Emmaus? The road to Emmaus. I actually have a picture of it in my apartment that uh, Sister Kathy and, and Greg bought me a couple of years ago. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. A picture of Jesus on a road speaking to two disciples after his resurrection. They asked Jesus, not recognizing him, if he heard about what happened in Jerusalem, about Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth dying on the cross in the reports of his empty tomb. He said to them this, How foolish are you? How slow are you to believe that all the prophets have, what all the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, you hear that? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did you catch that? All the scriptures concerning himself. He explained to them what was said in the whole testament concerning himself. Jesus proclaimed that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to a day where he would be the fulfillment, the fruition of all that was told. Church, friends, friends that are visiting, that are watching this. Jesus is the center of everything that God has been doing since the beginning of time. It's just as Apostle Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six, For from Him, meaning Jesus, right? From, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. I'll give you some examples of this. I'm going to proclaim some ways that Old Testament uh, times So in Proverbs, he was the, um, in okay, in Proverbs, in Leviticus, Jesus was the temple. Jesus was the temple and the holy place to meet with God. In Deuteronomy, he was the coming prophet that was greater than Moses. In Judges, he was the broken Savior, rising up to save his people. In the book of Proverbs, church, he was wisdom, wisdom personified. Jesus Christ was wisdom personified. In Isaiah, he was the wonderful counselor. Everlasting father, mighty God, wounded for our iniquities. In Hosea, he was the faithful husband pursuing his unfaithful bride, etc. There's so much more, church. We can go on forever with this. The whole Bible, all of God's glorious truths are completed in the name, above all names, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. I encourage you to read the Old Testament this way, church. Read the Old Testament this way. Don't miss the wonderful truth that the Old Testament is inspired by God without error. But make no mistake about it, it was a blueprint. 
It was a blueprint for the, the building to come. It was all a shadow for the reality to come. It was incomplete, but now it's verse 2 says, God has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is the final word from God. And as the first point of the sermon states, Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final prophet. The next reason why Jesus is superior to all things, including angels, is Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final king. Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final king. Notice verse 2, 3a. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Church, heir of all things. Did you catch that? Heir of all things. Created the world. Created the world. Upholds the universe by his power. Are you kidding me? This is so remarkable. Jesus Christ is a greater king because no king in history of the world has ever done what he has done. He upholds the whole universe. Did you notice that he, do you recognize that he upholds the whole universe? My Muslim friends say that Jesus is a mere prophet. You can't read the word of God and come up with that. You cannot read the word of God, bow to the word of God and come up with that conclusion. A mere prophet. The power of God's word, how he speaks, how Jesus speaks and the things that he created. What about Genesis 1? Genesis 1 speaks like this. It says about that thing that upholds by the word of his power. Genesis 1 says, the very first chapter of the whole Bible says, God said, let there be light. And then a few words later, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. Church, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, is God's agent of creation. King Jesus speaks things into existence. Not just physical creation, but spiritual creation as well. Spiritual creation as well. Does anybody remember what Jesus did when he, his good friend Lazarus was dead in the grave for four days? Right? Stinking up that, that tomb for four days. He spoke Lazarus from death to life. He said, Lazarus, come forth! And that, that, that's a spiritual illustration of what Jesus does to sinners who are spiritually dead and brought to life. Through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, right? The drawing of the Father, Jesus, uh, the drawing of the Father, what Jesus does is He speaks into the hearts of fallen men and new life begins. Church, Jesus is creating, upholding, and governing all things, including spiritual things. Christ is the one not only who made the universe, right? But he holds it all together. Only God can do these things. This is why this verse is one of the most powerful verses. It, it isn't just passively. Jesus isn't just passively holding things together. You don't see that in this verse. He's sovereignly governing all things. I once heard a quote by Abraham, a theologian, Abraham Kuyper. Powerful quote pertaining to this. He said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ 
which who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Powerful, church. I mean, it's starting to look more obvious why Jesus is <laughs> supreme, right? Greater than, than everything, including the angels. Now, the angels, the angels were God's messengers. They minister, they are God's messengers, even at this time. They minister before the throne of God. They, what do we see about the angels in the scriptures? They, they protect uh, humans, they guide humans. Um, they brought the law of Moses, right? They even destroyed the enemies of God's people, the enemies of God's people. They destroyed them at times in the scripture. But none of them can say that they are the final prophet. None of them can say they're the culmination of all that God has to say. And none of them can say that they have words so powerful that they can create and uphold the universe. Church, <laughs> brothers and sisters in Christ, friends who are joining us today, Jesus is superior. He is authoritative. He is the final king. He is preeminent. He is supreme. He holds authority over all creation. Bottom line, Jesus is God, the king of all that exists. This passage illuminates this reality, the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is not just the son of God. He is God. The beginning of verse 3 gives us another view of the divinity of Christ where it says this. In verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. Our Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, who we go to, Christians who are listening today, who, who we go to times like this where we, we come to him, we pray to him. He's like our friend, right? And he is God. He's control of everything. That should give us so much, so much encouragement. We know from the Bible that when the Word, He's the glory, the, the imprint, the, the glory of God, right? So, the radiance of the glory of God, this text says. So, in the Bible, when we see the word glory, it's used in relation to God. It speaks of the radiant manifestation, if you will, of His presence. Church, to see God's glory, therefore, was to witness the presence of God. So when the text says he's the radiance of the glory of God, he isn't just saying that Jesus is reflecting God's glory, right? That's not what he's saying, as a light uh, reflects the sun. No, this is so much more profound. These words are exalting Jesus, saying he is God, and he radiates his own essential glory. Notice it also says in this verse that he is the exact, this is, he's the exact imprint of the nature. This is the idea of an exact likeness as made by a stamp. Jesus Christ is the greater and final king who exactly represents God to us. The Bible says in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. This is why Jesus, while spending time... So, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. This is the idea of an exact likeness as made by stamp. Jesus Christ, the greater and final king who exactly represents God to us. The Bible says in Colossians 1, things the image of the invisible God. This is why Jesus, when spending time with his disciples, told Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The exact imprint of his nature, friends. I love how Douglas Moo comments on these words. He says, the idea that the Son is the exact representation of God's being means that he gives a, a clear picture of the nature of God. 
This echoes other New Testament texts that speak of Jesus as the form, the likeness, or image of the Father. I rejoice with the Apostle Paul when he says in 1 Timothy 6.15, Who is the blessed and only sovereign one? Church, if anyone ever asks you, what does God look like? You better answer them by saying, look at King Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. As if all this wasn't enough to convince the audience of Hebrews, not that, that Jesus was superior to all things, including the angels, we come to the last words of the passage, the emphasis, the last point of the sermon, that Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final priest. Church, we have seen so far, Christ is superior to everything, including the angels. And the writer has argued powerfully, right? Powerfully and convincingly, that Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final prophet. And he's the sufficient and final king. And now we come to our final point of the sermon, that Jesus Christ is the sufficient and final priest. I remember one time I was talking to, uh, you know, teaching the kids Sunday school. I asked them, do we go to a human priest? For forgiveness of our sins. And of course they said no. And I was like, false. We do. It's, sometimes I, I kind of trick the, uh, the students. I think it's a good way of teaching sometimes to get them to think. And I was like, we go to a priest. Right? A human priest as well. We go to the God-man Jesus Christ. The high priest. The high priest. We go to him. Notice verse 3b says, after making purification for sin. In verse 3b. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. This is so significant, church. Jesus made purification for sins. Now, how did he do this? He did so by offering himself for our sins. He offered himself for our sins. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10.14 tells it this way. Powerful text. Glorious truth here, church. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purification process. Right? Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know Satan's involved in a lot of things, right, church? And right now, somebody keeps on calling me, and uh, I hope you guys are patient being gracious. Uh, this never happened before. You know, it's the first time that I had a call coming in like this. So we're learning through this whole process, but we will finish the Word of God, right? We will praise God. We will not let anybody stop us at this time, Lord, uh, to everyone. God is so glorious. God is so glorious. Church, remember the audience of the letter when we come to this. We don't have too much uh, left in the sermon, but remember the audience of the letter. These were Christians who grew up in Judaism. Before coming to Christ, they lived and breathed the old covenant religion. Right? They were familiar with the significance of the priestly role with God's people. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's what? There's no, there's no forgiveness of sins. We see in the Old Testament there were many ceremonial animal sacrifices, but we know now that it was all pointing to the greater sacrifice, the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember John the Baptist. What did he say when he saw Jesus? Behold what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what the writer's getting at. When he said that after making purifications for sins, he sat down. Church, we can't pass over the significance of these three words. He sat down. This is huge. 
In the Old Testament, the high priest would perform sacrifices in the temple. But there was no seat. There was no seat because the work was never finished. There was always sacrifice that needed to be done. But we see it, we sit, we see in this verse that Jesus is the sufficient and final priest who not only provides a, a, a perfect sacrifice, but he becomes the perfect sacrifice for the sins of his people. This is why when Jesus says that it, on the cross, when he says it is finished, right? It is finished. Friends, if you have turned from your sin, church, if you've turned from your sin and placed your trust in the finished work of Christ alone for your salvation, you can have assurance that you will have peace with God. Assurance. In a Roman study, we're actually on this, uh, this passage this week. In Romans 5, it talks about this. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have peace with God. If you have been declared righteous, justified, we have peace with God. It's one of the benefits of being a Christian. From here to eternity, peace with God, a peace that will never end. It started with God, it will end with God. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So church, when we come to this last verse now, after all those three verses we walked through, we're leading up to the verse 4, right? And it says this in verse 4, Having become much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This verse makes so much sense now, right? After, after learning all this, of course his name is much superior, right? Of course his inheritance is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is much superior to the angels. But the rest of the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is superior to Moses. He's superior to the Old Testament priesthood. He's superior to the sanctuary. All Old Testament sacrifices. Abraham, Melchizedek, so much more. Church, as I said in the beginning of the sermon, like the, the, the audience of this letter, just like them, we are tempted to go back to our old religious superstitions, our religious rituals. That which has no value, no, no salvation, no substance. Church, I plead with you. I plead with you as a servant of the gospel. And I say this with love. Please don't think I'm judged. I, I say this with love. I urge you to take these treasures of the passages that, we, that were preached today and humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. Do not harden your hearts. My Catholic friends, I say this with love. My Muslim friends, I say this with love. Do not humble your hearts. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. I understand this eternal truth that if you understand this internal truth that we have just learned, if you're trusting at the same time, you're hearing this, you're hearing what God has to say, but you're trusting in a priest to be your mediator between God and man, then in the end, you're rejecting you're rejecting the sufficient and final priest, Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in that so-called uh, king that sits on his throne in Rome, Pope Frankie, Pope Francis, all right? You're rejecting the sufficient and final king, Jesus Christ. And if you're trusting in tradition, if you're trusting in tradition to be the infallible authority of truth on par with Scripture, then you're rejecting the sufficient and final prophet. Jesus Christ. Church, we learn today from God's eternal word that there's
at church. My uh, somebody's very uh, <laughs> determined to get a hold of me. But the, has arrived. The Savior and Lord Jesus Christ has arrived. So in closing, He's living today at the right hand of the Father on high, and He has three a threefold office: prophet, priest, and king. Long ago, God did speak. God did speak through the prophets. He moved through the kings. He intercedes through the.